0: If you would turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 27, as we continue our study of Paul's life. We are but two chapters away from completing the book of Acts, which is pretty exciting to see that we actually went through the book of Acts and are now finalizing this letter written by Luke. And the plan is, actually, for the rest of this month, is this week we're going to go over chapter 27. And next week we're going to have a Bible study on the birth of Christ, leaving the the book of Acts for next week. And then the following week we will complete Acts chapter 28 on Sunday morning to finalize it. Just getting ready for the new year and where God is uh, leading us. It's kind of cool how we're ending two different books right at the end of the year. We just finished uh the book of Genesis this past Wednesday, which is pretty cool. And God God is awesome. I'm I'm blessed to be able to to go through this book of Genesis that we just went through. Uh, if you guys um years ago uh we started a Bible study here at my house uh over 8 years ago. And it was just me and a, a bunch of young guys and girls. And we started the book of Genesis, and um, actually Ashley um, was one of the, those young ladies who was with us at the time uh, as we started the book of Genesis. And we never were able to finish the book of Genesis, um, so to be able to now finish it after all these years that we went back and started it over, uh, I thank God for that. and thank God that he is able to, to complete the work that he started in us. And that's what we're we're kind of going to witness uh, is a continuation of Paul's journey. If you guys remember to, to catch us up on where we're at in the book of Acts right now, we were observing Paul as he was called to Jerusalem to preach the gospel, and it was prophesied that he would be put in chains and put in prison, which he was for two years. He went to go preach. And the Jews hated him for it. So they took him, they began to beat him, and the Romans got a hold of him to save his life, really. And then for two years, he was in prison in Caesarea. And then finally, after going before Festus and Agrippa, pleading his case, he said, I appeal to Caesar, and to Caesar he must go. So the Jewish leaders, Herod and and Festus, In order to finalize their dealings with Paul and figure out what it was illegal that he actually did, they had him go before him and he pleaded his case and he told his testimony and they said, you know what, we probably would have let you go actually if you wouldn't have appealed to Caesar because we don't really find too much wrongdoing according to our our law, but it was because the hatred of the Jews towards Paul. that They wanted him dead. And because of this, they're saying, okay, we need to deal with this situation. So Paul now is going to begin his journey to Rome. And what's really cool is that God told him, look, you've been a witness to me in Jerusalem. Now I want you to be a witness to me in Rome. And there is that transition. And Paul now has it in his heart and his mind to go forward. And this is where we pick up of he's still a prisoner He's now going to be transported, escorted to Rome in a royal fashion. Imagine if God told you, hey, I want you to go be a a witness to me over at the White House. And you're like, okay, well, let me get a plane ticket there. And then God was like, no, 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 you're going to go by police. They're going to arrest you and they're going to take you all the way to the White House. That's crazy. Yet you would have a royal escort at that same time. So now Paul, as he begins his journey to Rome, we begin with chapter 27. I titled this study, Taking Heart in the Storm. As we're going to observe Paul go through some crazy storms, look at chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. Now, remember, Luke is writing this and he's using that personal pronoun, we should sail. So imagine Luke as a doctor, as Paul's companion, his brother in the Lord, and they're now on this spiritual journey to Rome. They're going to Italy, which is the capital of Rome, it was the metropolis of that empire where Caesar had his palace. And something to note is that they are now under the care of a guy named Julius, who was a centurion, these Roman commanders. Now, these centurions in the Bible, whenever they're referred to, we note that they are always referred to as honorable men, honorable Roman captains. Now look at verse 2. It says, so entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So, this ship there, the Adramitium, that was the port of Caesarea. And they're now going to take this journey from Israel across the Mediterranean, passing Asia Minor. Now, in verse 3. And the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And I note here the kindness of the centurion towards Paul as he's allowing Paul's companions to come basically minister unto him. And I see this value of friendship of, of fellowship that we need in our lives. It's notable that we, we need fellowship. We need our, our, our friends, someone like a Barnabas, to come alongside of us to help us to be a brother. We need a guy like like Luke was, a doctor, someone who can help tend to our needs. We, no man is an island. And the Bible teaches that he who isolates himself seeks his own, meaning to do his own selfish ways. So there is a necessity for fellowship in a believer's life. Now, in verse four, when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now, something to note: as you're going to see in this chapter there's a lot of of storms that are going on as they're trying to take this journey from, Caesarea, which is in Israel, all the way to Rome, Italy. They're crossing over the Mediterranean. But there's a lot of winds. Now, last year I actually got to go uh with Calvary Chapel to follow Paul's footsteps. And when we were journeying from Greece to go visit some of the churches there in Asia Minor, the boat, the cruise that we were supposed to that we were on, was supposed to stop at the island of Patmos, where John wrote the book of Revelation. But a storm picked up, and the storm was first of all, I had never been on a cruise ship. And so I was like, okay, this seems kind of cool. But once the storm picked up and the entire boat was literally like, you'd be walking and then like everyone would just like be sideways and be like running like inception or the matrix or something. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And then I happened to also at the same time of that, of this great storm, we, I got sick, like not seasick, but just like flu, like fever, like symptoms. This is a long time ago. I don't have COVID. (laughs) <laughs> but like flu and fever-like symptoms. Maybe it was COVID, though. It was last April. Dang. No, um, And we were there and then the next thing you know, they told us that we were not allowed to stop at Patmos because there was no way that they were going to be able to have that cruise ship dock on Patmos. And I was so like, oh, God, you know. <laughs> whatever For whatever reason, we're not allowed to go to Patmos and I can't see that island, but but God knew. But those storms that take place there in the Mediterranean, uh, they can get pretty big um, and become pretty scary. So Paul now is on this journey in the Mediterranean, and the winds are contrary. Look at verse 5. And when we had sailed over the sea which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a City of Lycia, then the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. Lycia, what well, we just read about here, this is actually a city in the southernmost part of Asia Minor, minor and northeast of the Mediterranean. And this ship from Alexandria. Uh, Alexandria is actually a city in Egypt, named after Alexander the Great. And the ship is headed to Italy. And I've mentioned these places uh, to you so you can note that, look, our Bible, these places, these ships that are where they're coming from, these are all places that you can go to and visit today. We're, we're not talking about made-up lands and made-up cities. This is, our Bible is historically, archaeologically accurate. Now in verse 7, When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off, off Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now they're trying to journey through the Mediterranean, and all these storms are slowing them down. They're, they're trying to sail with great difficulty. And there's times in our life when we go through storms, when we are called to do something. And it doesn't mean because we're called that everything is going to be easy, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be smooth sailing all the time. Remember in Mark's gospel, when Jesus called the wind and the waves to obey him? If you have your Bible this morning, turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to take a a quick look at when Jesus caused the wind and the waves to obey him. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, this is after Jesus just cast out demons out of a man who was demon-possessed, who was living amongst the tombs, In Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35, it says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat. So it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm, but he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So in this portion of scripture we just read in Mark, Jesus, first he tells his disciples, he says, all right, let's go cross over now to the other side of this great body of water. And when Jesus tells us to do something, we have to remember that where God guides, God provides. So we need to take those steps of faith when God calls us to a task. God is going to give you the strength to get through it. God is going to support you financially if he's called you to something. And if the funds aren't there, then maybe he hasn't called you that, to that particular task, that venture. That's something that this ministry we, we see as a, a huge principle is, Where God guides, God provides. If God doesn't have a a youth center for us to be in right now, that's because he's guided us here in a backyard. And he has an amazing plan with it. So Jesus is telling him, look, let's cross over this body of water. And then Jesus takes a nap. He goes to lay down in the boat. And then the storm arises, and as the boat is filling with water, all the disciples are are now fearing for their lives. They're scared that they are about to drown. And where is Jesus? He's asleep. And how is it that Jesus is sleeping? Because he's not afraid. He knows where God has called him to. And then he's awoken up and He's kind of shocked of like, man, why are you guys so scared? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm right here in the boat with you. I said, we're going to cross over. And he said, why are you so fear- fearful? Where's, where's your faith? You have no faith. And then Jesus stands and rebukes the wind. He says, peace, be still. You see, Christ can calm our storm. He has the, bi- the ability to make what seems to be certain destruction and death in our life stop. He has the ability to make fear and hopelessness cease. You see, fear, it paralyzes us as believers. In 1 John four eighteen, we read, there is no love in fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You see, the trials that we experience are still under God's sovereign control. And he allows us to go through those. Back in the book of Acts, as they're now enduring these storms and pushing forward to try to get to Italy, in verse 9, It says, now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. Now this fast, real quick, that it's referring to. See there, after time and sailing is dangerous. What is it referring to right here? It's letting us know what time of year this was. The fast being the the fast of Yom Kippur. It was this religious uh, holiday that... The Jews would take Yom Kippur, this day of atonement, is what it meant. And this is when they would remember the worshiping of the golden calf. And because of that, they would fast. They wouldn't eat or drink or work. They wouldn't even take baths or or be anointed. And they wouldn't bind their, their shoes together. Uh, even the marriage bed was... Off limits for couples that day, they wouldn't read anything but sorrowful things like the lamentations of Jeremiah until the setting of the sun and the rising of the stars. And this was Yom Kippur. This was the fast that they're referring to. Uh, It's quite interesting. This idea of just reflecting on uh, all the, the good that you've done and all the bad that you've done this day in order that you can make atonement for yourself. That's what the Jews, to this day, still celebrate the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And they do these things. But I thank God that Christ has given us the freedom to, to not have to work for salvation. We can live on grace. And I, we don't have to measure up all the, the bad things that we've done with the good things, but we can rest assured that God is our Savior. So now, this fast being ended uh, sometime latter September, early October, Paul advises them in verse 10, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship. Than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. Now, Paul, with prophetic gift, warned the captain of the ship and the centurion that they best to not proceed to their next stop because it's going to end in disaster. But the captain, who had sailed his whole career, the helmsman, he didn't want to stay harbored in that one spot the whole winter, and he was like, no, uh, we want to keep moving. And he felt that his opinion at the time to move forward was a better choice than what Paul had to say. And the centurion following the counsel of this captain agreed. So then in verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. Now that word Euroclidon, it literally means northeast wind. And there was even some sort of religious deities that they kind of said would cause these winds to come through and really cause these huge, giant swells of water there in the Mediterranean. And then in verse 15. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clouda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. So now... The storm is there. Just what Paul said, look, I don't think we should go, guys. And then they're like, no, we're good. We're good. Let's go. They go, and the storm Eurocliden comes, and they're starting to get scared. They're saying, okay, get the lifeboat, which is the skiff. They say, get the the skiff and bring it close to us so that we could hoist it aboard and perhaps get ready to use it. Now in verse 17, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the S- the Surtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. Now, out of fear that the whole of the actual ship would tear apart, they began to bind ropes outside the hole. They're now an emergency operation. And then in verse 18, and because we were exceedingly tempest tossed the next day, They lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So here they began to respond with survival instincts. Throw everything overboard, lighten the ship, whatever it takes to get through this storm. And then in verse 20, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. See, now the, the water begins to pour into the boat. Everyone's freaking out. They're throwing everything overboard. This is the storm of their life. And sometimes in order to get our attention, God has to eliminate our hope in everything but him. And that's what he's doing here with these men. I'm reminded uh, of another storm in the Bible that the disciples went through. And this time when they got on the boat, Jesus had told them, look, get on this boat and go to the other side. This is found in Matthew chapter 14. If you guys would turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to take a look at another storm which the disciples had to endure. And on this time, there are two miracles that take place on this storm. First in Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him, To the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So, at this point, the disciples are sailing now, and Jesus. He told them to go ahead of him. He sent the disciples on their own. And Jesus was praying. But then the storm comes up. The disciples are on the boat and the wind and the waves are crashing in and they're alone. And then in verse 25, it says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. See, sometimes like the disciples, we're afraid of Jesus coming to us. And sometimes we don't even recognizing him. They didn't, they thought he was a ghost which is uh, quite a a thought for some grown men on a boat who are fishermen, rugged men, like it's a ghost. And Jesus says, no, it's not a ghost. He says, "It's, it's I, be of good cheer, don't be afraid. And then verse 28, look at what Peter does. It says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. See, Peter is wise. First, he asked, If this is you, Jesus, call me to you. You see, he didn't just jump out of the boat, and jump into his own will, or what he wanted to do, or what he thought was going on. First, he asked, and he waited. He said, All right, Jesus, if that's you, call me to come to you. And then in verse 29, So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So Jesus tells Peter, roll out. And he gets his feet over that ship. And maybe perhaps as he was looking at the water, looking at Jesus, perhaps he was like, I don't even know if this is really going to work, but I know that's Jesus who's there, so I'm going to take a chance. That little bit of faith that he had, Jesus blessed it, allowed him to start walking on the water. You're doing it, Peter. You're doing it. And with Peter's eyes on Jesus following his call, he's doing the impossible. But look at what happens in verse 30. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So look at this scene. First, Peter is walking on water. He's walking towards Jesus. But then as Peter is walking on the water, suddenly he starts to look, instead of looking at Jesus, he starts to look at his surroundings. He starts to look at the the waves that are are on his left, on his right. He starts to look at the dark water that is below his feet. And when he gets his eyes off of Jesus, when he gets his eyes off his Christ and onto situations, the storms of life, he begins to sink. And as he begins to sink, Peter cries out one of the shortest prayers in the Bible, Lord, save me. And Christ is loving and caring to honor that short prayer. Sometimes our prayers, they can be short. Save me. And I'm thankful for that, that we don't have to doubt, but that we can have faith. In James 1, verse 6 through 8, it tells us not to doubt. It says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And Jesus, as he puts his hand to Peter, pulls him out of the water, takes him on the boat. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then the wind and the storm, it ceases. The storm ends. So we see two miracles, Peter walking on water and then Jesus calming the storm. And I'm reminded that the storm does end in this life. That Sometimes we feel like, oh man, we've been in this storm forever and it's never going to end. Look at verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. You see, others notice God in your life. Sometimes they don't really know that it is God that's in your life. They just know there's something different and perhaps a conversation will come up where one day you're with a work buddy and they're saying hey like what so like what do you do like why why are you able to get through this situation like so calm headed how come you don't get mad and then at that point you could share with them it's because of Christ his power in my life back in the book of acts as they're now right in the midst of this perfect storm, this storm that's looking like it might destroy their lives. It says in verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. See, Paul right here, he's saying those words that no one likes to hear. Nobody likes to hear, I told you so. And this is exactly what Paul is telling the helmsman and the centurion, the guys who were supposed to know it all, the guys who were supposed to be the best sailors. They had conquered the modern world at that time. Yet here, Paul, a fisherman, is telling them, I told you. And then in verse 22, And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. I have in my Bible underlined, take heart. Take heart through the storm. When God calls us to a task, until we fulfill that task, we're invincible. Now, for us who don't know the future and don't know our life's end, yeah, we exercise caution in our regular day-to-day life. I I drive with a seatbelt on. But if God has called me to something until I fulfill that task, then there's nothing that the enemy or this world can do to stop it. And that's true to every believer here. He says again in verse 25, therefore, take heart, men, and underline it again right there. For I believe God that it will be just as it was told me However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And perhaps that's because they could hear the great waves crashing on the shores. And then in verse 28, And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. So now they're beginning to follow after what Paul is telling them because he told them look there's going to be a huge storm that's going to come and at first they're like nah let's go and now that the storm's there they're saying okay like what do, what do you what should we do Paul? And Paul's saying take heart. And what they're doing here is they're working through the storm. They're listening to the words now of what God had told them. And there's action with faith. You see that they're not just saying okay well then God's gonna save us, then let's just stay on the boat and huddle together. No, they're saying, "Look, okay, God's gonna provide for us. God's gonna t- protect us. Let's see how far we are from the land. Let's begin to drop the anchor and the stern, and praying for the day to come." And then in verse thirty, and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship. When they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So now here are some sailors, and through this storm they, they have the lifeboat there, the skiff, so they're like, Okay, you know what, let's let's just get in the boat and we're gonna go forget everybody else. And Paul stops them and he says, hey, look, if these guys get off this ship, then there's going to be death. And sometimes what seems to be the most reasonable thing to do is not what God wants. It would be reasonable for people to get on a lifeboat in a storm. But that's not what God was calling them to do. He had given Paul direction, order, so that life can be spared. And then in verse 32, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. You see, at this point, Christians, do we have enough faith this morning to cut off what God has not intended for us? To be obedient to his call, Even though it would make sense for these sailors to get on the the lifeboat, Paul told them, cut it off. God has another plan. And may we also follow that plan, even if it doesn't make sense for us. And then in verse 33, and as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment for this is for your survival since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. So now Paul's telling him, look, okay, we were fasting now, but now it's time to eat. It's time to gain strength. And there is everything it has a, its season. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I was reading this the other day, that there's a, a time and a season for things. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, I'm going to read this to you real quick. It says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stone stones. A time to laugh, a time to mourn. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and tear. And a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. You see, if we're thinking that the season that we're in is going to last forever, it's not. The only thing that's eternal is Christ. Living with him. But we're not there right now we're not in a storm currently, perhaps we just came out of a storm or or perhaps we're going into a storm. And to be joyful and thankful for where God has us and to trust in him in every season of life, whether it's a time of blessing or cursing, we would do well. So in this, where Paul And these men are out there saying, okay, now is the time. We were fasting, but now it's the time to eat, a time to grow, to get strong. Look at verse 35. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and took food themselves. And in all were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. So here, when they finally have this communion, Paul, he gives thanks to God for the food that they do have. And we have an example of why we pray before we eat right here in the Bible. Paul's doing it. Now in verse 39, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed everything a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And then they let the anchors go and left them in the sea meanwhile losing, loosing the rudder ropes and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met they ran the ship aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves so they got close enough to land now they hit the bottom of the land and the waves though are crashing on this boat the boat is falling apart the ship is sinking and what's going to happen i'm sure is running through the the minds of all these men who are on this boat in verse 42, and the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land. So remember, this is a, a prisoner ship. There were some prisoners on the ship, including Paul. And as the boat is falling apart, the Roman guards are saying, okay, well, let's just kill the prisoners because if any of them get away and swim to shore, it's going to look bad on us. But the centurion, because he had a liking for Paul, said, no, no, no. Don't do this. And he spared Paul's life. And then in verse 44, And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was, they all escaped safely to land. So the centurion told those who could swim, hey, just jump, swim to the, the, the land. And then the rest of them, everybody else is floating on boards. Maybe that was when surfing was invented. Maybe. But what we do see is that none of them were killed just as Paul had prophesied of. That God had spoken to him a word saying I'm going to give you the lives of all these men. Stay in the boat until it comes crashing down. And sometimes that's what God has to do in our life. Of the plans that we have, the structures that we have created and made, he needs to break those things down so that there can be something that's reborn, remade. Our spiritual lives We all need to be born again. And sometimes, uh, even with the children of Israel, he said, you guys are like the the clay in the hand of a potter. And when he found that, that deformity in the clay, he crushed down the clay and then he brought it back up and formed it again. And he told the Israelites, can I not do what this clay maker is doing to you? And in that same way, God can do that with us, with our hearts, with our minds the things that are not supposed to be there. God needs to break down and make new. When they're making gold, they put the gold in a pot and they heat it up so that the gold begins to melt. And what rises to the top of the gold is all the dirt that was in the minerals. And they scrape away the dirt. And then they, they let the, the gold cool and then they heat it up again. And they scrape away more dirt. And that's how our hearts and minds are with God is where God will allow us to endure fire, endure trial, so that he can bring to the surface what's not supposed to be there, scrape that away, and then heat us up again. Until finally, the the gold maker looks at the gold and sees his reflection in the gold to see that it's pure. In that same manner, God is allowing us, has allowed us this year to go through trials, but so that he can be glorified in our lives i'll leave with this verse this morning romans chapter 5 verses 3-5 through says and not only that but we glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope now hope does not disappoint because the love that the holy spirit has poured into our hearts Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. I pray and I ask now, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, work in our minds. If there is anyone here this morning who feels like they're going through a storm and just wants the Holy Spirit to help them to work through it, to calm the storm, if that's you this morning, just raise your hand and I want to pray with you. Okay. Gotcha. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who have raised their hand in faith. I pray, Father, that you would be their shelter in the storm. I pray, Lord, that you would give them guidance, Father. Give them the strength to work through the storm, Father. And would you cause the storms to cease in our life? But, Father, may you get what you deserve, Lord God, from us. May we be molded and shaped into what you deserve to have, Lord God what you're calling us to forgive us father when we turn to devices to and to other things during the storm lord i pray father you would have your way with us lord god may we trust you may we not doubt father but may we have faith may your holy spirit fill us lord god with these trials we love you we praise you we thank you and it's in jesus name we pray Amen.